Hello, friends. Welcome back to another episode of the Wild User Interview podcast with me, AVB. Today, I am thrilled to have with me Elias. <laughs> what's what's the Twitter handle? <laughs> Elias makes waves or something? Elias makes waves. Nice. Elias is the founder of WGMI or WAGMI, if you skip the A solution, a Web3 social media and marketing solutions agency focused on the near ecosystem. Elias is also actively involved in a range of amazing projects, which I'm sure we will cover, including Evolton, also skipping some letters there, the voice of Underground's rising electronic artists, the Near NFT DAO, the Korosinai Ninjas, and 10K. Welcome, Elias. Welcome. Thank you. I just said welcome. I meant thank you so much for welcoming. Everyone me. is welcome. <laughs> That's okay. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. It is evolution, actually. I just I mean to correct you, but it's evolution. It's a play on words. And the goal is to evolve with artists. And that is something that I've been building with some of my friends. But yeah, it's evolution. Everyone says evil, Tim, but we think that if we brand it correctly over the next few years, it'll just catch on. Just evolution. It's a fascinating convergence between people trying to find words that are not taken in terms of domains or like handles or even just trademarks. So it became trendy or popular either, you know, by culture or necessity to start taking letters out. And I reckon that is a mm -hmm. best test for you building a successful brand. Are people able to identify the word and know how to pronounce it <laughs> and know what it stands exactly. for? Yes. Like WAGMI, W-G-M-I. It's yes. simple. It resonates. I'm guessing there is a connection with the crypto WAGMI with an A. Mm-hmm. Of course. Everyone says we're going to make it. We're all going to make it. And we thought, why not play out, you know, play off of this and we're going to make it, but we're going to build it for you. We're going to help you build up this idea or this project that you have and take it to the next level. So we're going to make it. I, and hopefully we can all make it. I, I want everyone around me to make it. That's the goal. And that's the goal with both evolution and, and basically everything that I do. That's like my motto is like giving the underdog a platform. So with evolution, we don't really focus on like the higher ups in the industry. There's already enough of that. There's EDM.com, EDM Mag. They already put all the top people on a platform and they get their backlinks and they get verified and all that good stuff. But those underdogs, those people in your hometown who are like producing and they're putting in hard work and they're DJing, they're playing shows, but they're not really getting those backlinks. They're not really getting those press. They're not getting those press outlets or PR, any PR. So we try to give them that. And when we do it, we really wrap into a big bundle because we throw shows as well. So what we'll do is we'll bring an artist on We'll give them some press, we'll book them for a show, and then we'll put them in our, one of our playlists or we'll put them in a mix or we'll just do everything we can to give them some spotlight. And then they can take that and use that those backlinks to get verified in the future. Because that's what they look for when you're getting verified on Twitter or Instagram. They want you to have credible sources, tell everyone who you are and what you're about. So that's the same thing with uh, WGMI. We're trying to give people a platform. Maybe there's a lot of people out there that are trying to build and they just don't know how to voice their, their ideas to the community or they don't know how to market. They don't know how to brand. They don't know how to get in connected with uh, VCs or discord managers or social media managers so what we're really trying to do is just connect the dots for people who have great ideas filter out the bad ones and push those into the near ecosystem because we feel we can really be that barrier that helps weed out you know the bad actors we really want to just filter out the ecosystem and help people that deserve it yeah sorry rambled on a little bit no yes. that is perfect you're doing the job <laughs> for me i should have asked you to give us a, a, a brief introduction about what these projects are that was actually a really good overview and i can really identify with ethos. It's interesting how I started taking it for granted, but 
there is a very strong component to Australian culture to like supporting the underdog. Like when you go to the Australian Open, for instance, unless it is like an Aussie playing or like a top 10, top 20 player, it's awesome to see just like the crowds always supporting like the less known player and a good game. It's like the surprises. Like you go there and everyone's backing for the person that they had no idea who it was before they walked in. And yeah, there's something exciting about Mm -hmm. seeing those cycles of going from being the underdog to success. And what I like about both Evolution and WGMI is that I've, the way that I perceive it, and correct me if I'm uh, wrong, is that you guys are coming in as operators. So you have the advantage of accumulating all the knowledge and best practices from working with previous people and then be able to apply that to the newcomers so that you're basically accelerating the cycles of success. Would that be correct? Exactly. That's exactly what we're doing. We feel like we've just had so much time in the market and we've seen the good and the bad for both the music industry and crypto and NFTs. Like I've seen the bad actors. I've seen the booms of NFTs. I saw the whole influencer things go down. I saw what people did wrong and it's been a learning process. And I just think that there's going to be a lot of people in the next 10 years that are trying to move from not only, not just people that are in the space now, but people that are going to move from web two to web three. There's going to be a lot of brands that are trying to bridge that gap. And it's like, where do you send them? You could send them into the pits with ETH and Soul and these influencers doing what they're doing. And it's cool. I love the NFT space, but I think there's like a bigger picture here. And I think that we can accelerate real adoption if we take it on in the right direction, like not just putting out PFP projects. I love PFP projects when they're well-built and they have a great brand and an awesome community. Everyone loves that, but there is a bigger picture here and it's web two to web three. We need to bring these brands on, get them in and show them how they can use NFTs to accelerate not only their growth, their business, their adoption into web three. There's so much potential. They can use them for subscriptions. They can use them for tiered based access passes. They can use them for ticketing. They can use them for so many different things. You can use them for real estate transfers. You can do so much with NFTs and it's like, where do you push these people? And I think that honestly, I have the experience to accelerate that. And I've talked to many people over the past couple of weeks that are, they want to do that. They're like, we need to get our brand into crypto like ASAP. We're here for the long term. We need to figure it out. So yeah, that's what we're trying to do. I love it. As you may have realized, if you've seen my YouTube channel or listened to previous episodes of the podcast, I also like to focus quite strongly on those brands. In fact, our last guest used the exact same wording, being a bridge between Web 2 to Web 3. The reason why I chose Near as an ecosystem, even before I knew anyone and started having more opportunities, was because I saw that user experience that gives people the power to build. And then it's it's a big undertaking, but I like the challenge of being part of taking that to the masses. But I'd like to take a step back and ask you, what brings you to the wonderful world of crypto? Because I think that the set of skills that you have is extremely valuable and being able to help people with their businesses, with processes, with marketing, that is something that could probably apply to any industry. And let's be honest, probably less risk, but less more stability in other industries. So I'd love to know how you find yourself coming to the world of crypto. You can go back as far as you want. And yeah, we'll take it from there. So yeah, I got into crypto in about 2016. I graduated high school in 2014. Didn't really know what I wanted to do. I started going to school and I was taking my general ed classes and starting in some marketing-based classes. And I didn't really know what I wanted to do. So I was working at a grocery store and then my dad offered me a job at a machinery. So our 
machinery plant and we were basically making boxes for Amazon. Every big company you can think of, we were making boxes for them. And it was just, I was 19, graduated at 17. It was $23 an hour. And it was like, I was making good money. So I was happy and I was still trying to do school. And while I was there, some of my coworkers had just mentioned cryptocurrency. So I got into it. I was just 19 year old kid. I bought some Litecoin. I bought some XRP and yeah, I, I don't know. That was like my first. So which year grad. is this and which city? This was uh, 2016, 2017 time. So like towards the end of the last, not the last bull run, not this last cycle, but the one before that. So I caught the tail end of it and I was in Modesto, California at the time. So um, I'd be super curious to know what the pitch was back then, because obviously each bull run has a lot of similarities in the sense that I think that it gets triggered by the vision of the technology. And obviously there's people that are very passionate about it and people that are building. But as we start to enter into the hyper growth cycle, there's people that just say, look, I don't actually know what this coin is or does or care. There's money to be made. So I, yeah. I wonder if we're in the spectrum where you, I know that if you look at the age and maybe California, like it could really go either way. Yeah. At the time I wasn't really into the fundamentals as much. It was just more so I knew what Bitcoin was. Litecoin was the scalable, faster version of it. And XRP was this moonshot. Oh my gosh, we're all going to get rich off XRP. And that's kind of all I really had time for at that time. I was just so focused on work and school. I was just like, I was just tossing some money in there and I saw my Litecoin go up. I don't really remember the multiples, but like I made some money and like I pulled out and I forgot about crypto for a year and a half, maybe two years. Uh, let's see. That was about 2017 at the end, tell end. So 2018, I got back into crypto in 2020. Time had just passed by me and I just was working at this machinery and I like had a girlfriend we were together for four years and we had my beautiful daughter who's going to be four years old now. And we're not together anymore, but we're still co-parenting and we're doing our separate things. And we're both just trying to build paths for our futures. We're really great friends. We still hang out. We go hiking. We spend time together. So it's really cool. We have a really great relationship. But 2020, COVID came, obviously. And at the time, I had transferred from one of my one of the factories I was working at to another one. So what this meant was I was going to be, I was union and moving to this new factory, I was going to have more opportunities, but I wasn't going to be union anymore. So right when that happened, I had to move over as a temporary um, employee and then COVID hit. Basically, I, I was the first one to, to go. So I filed for unemployment. I had a little bit of time on that. I had a severance package and I had my 401k and basically I took $2,000 and I was like, all right, I remember cryptocurrency. I'm going to get back into it. But not only am I going to get back into it, I was still paying attention to Twitter. So I was watching Satoshi Flipper and Shardy B and Crypto Burb and uh, Trading Tank and all these guys and Libs. And I, I went through some classes. I went through crypto creds, technical analysis courses, and I learned how to trade. I basically turned $2,000 into $20,000. And then that was the beginning of my trading journey. And then from there, it was like, it was just kept going. I was just trading and I was on Twitter active 24 seven entering giveaways. And I got lucky with some NFT giveaways. And then it was like, okay, really getting the hang of this. So now I want to dive deep into the fundamentals. So I started really researching DeFi and flywheels. And I got in on the CVX CRV flywheel and was just really into DeFi for a while. And then I got to a point where I was just like, this seems really risky. What do I want to do in this space? What am I going to do? I can't just trade forever. I, I realized that I was like, I'm 
just getting lucky. This is just a bull run. This isn't sustainable, which I don't think trading is sustainable. I think high time frame speculation or conviction is like sustainable way to make money over the long term or build wealth. But I wanted a value, a service. And I thought back to myself. So in the midst of all of this, from when I graduated to I'm trading and working, I was also running an event company at the same time. And I was DJing and running the event company, promoting, doing a lot of the graphic design. In the midst of that, I got into artist management and then I started managing graphic designers. I worked with Red Light Management. I helped produce like an album for Slushy um, with all his work and stuff or all his all their artwork. And I still work with that graphic designer to this day. His name's Alex Ferraro, awesome designer. He does a lot of my work. So if you need any work done, Alex Shout Ferraro. Shout out to Alex. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Great guy. And he's an awesome trader as well. But basically I was like, okay, I learned how to market. I learned how to brand and I learned how to team build through all of this. Cause I was putting together promotional teams where we got multiple people together who wanted to earn free tickets and we got them to spread the word, spread the word out. You get your free, you know, entry to the event and you can come through and we'll give you some snacks and some chips or you get special perks. So I learned team building. I learned marketing I learned branding. And I also learned how to take care of people like artist repertoire and stuff like that. So I was just taking care of people and really servicing community around me. And I thought, why don't I do this in the crypto space? So that's where WGMI Solutions was born, the idea. I was working with a whole bunch of cool DJs like Sam F, Gesture, Wookie, GTA, the whole team. They were running some cool projects on Solana and ETH, like Awesome Apes and uh, Net Gala. Awesome Apes was just a derivative of the Bored Apes, but it was like he basically gave out a whole bunch of derivatives for free and then sold some to bring communities together. And then the Net Gala was a really cool record label that they're building on Solana. They're still building it to this day. That's where I got my jump start. And then I met some really cool devs from Proxy and they got me some jobs um, working with some guys on Tezos and I helped them with their social media, their branding and you know, all that good stuff. And it was really great. And I learned a lot along the process as well. And I just, I don't want to, I'm not going to name those projects, but because I want to talk about some flaws that I saw, that I found. And it was just like fund allocation and how to run a project. And I saw like a lot of things go wrong and it wasn't really my end of things because I was just a social media manager and building design, like graphic designs. But I just saw a lot of things that I would want to avoid in the future. So that's that experience that we're talking about. You can get with projects and they might have a lot of money, but then they spend so much money on Brave ads or so much money on this where it's like, there's no RO, there's no return on interest. It's just... It's like money in the hole. So I just learned a lot of things like that. That is an amazing point to take over. Because <laughs> I think that, first of all, thanks so much for opening up and sharing, you know, like your story. A lot of people say that crypto is full of young single men, but let it be known that you were able to get <laughs> one kid in there. So that is amazing. <laughs> Shout out to your daughter. But I, I really like that you. you didn't mention what you studied in college and you can mention it out of curiosity, but I like that crypto is one of the few, if not the only industries, and maybe tech more broadly, where no one asks and no one cares what your official qualifications are or what your formal experience is. I also really like how it's the life experience and dealing with humans and managing people. These are the soft skills that are very hard to teach and they're actually very hard to sell as well. Like you have to show, don't tell. So... I love that at the very end, you go full circle and you realize that when you join a corporate or when you join a project and the more that it gets bureaucratic, you go back to that cycle of, I feel like I can't speak out because I'm only on this role over that role. 
And uh, yeah, I think that's a point where people usually break off to do their own thing. And that's why I like to keep it agile, keep it nimble, really promote competition. So if you want, and I also really like your approach of not shitting directly on people, but I do think it is definitely useful to be very vocal about practices that we realize are not good, especially because I find that in the bull market, it's very easy to gloss over things because as long as the numbers are trending up, no one cares. But inevitably, the trigger of the winter were the things that we were doing during the bull market that didn't work. So maybe you can, yeah, double click on the things that you've seen in the projects that you worked with that prompted you to start your own agency and maybe some of the approach through WGMI. And I guess this would be the value proposition for your clients and anyone listening looking for marketing help. Yeah, I think there's just a, a ton of things that go wrong when it comes to a project that doesn't work out. There can be many things that go wrong. The first one I was talking about is fund allocation. And that can be one of the hardest points I've learned firsthand and from other people that fund allocation is one of the, the hardest parts of it all. You have to know where to put your money and what's going to work. Um, I saw projects dump money into Brave Ads, for example, and there was no return on interest on that. And it was really expensive. So I think that's cool to do Brave Ads, but it's if you're not a huge pro, protocol or you're not a huge project like Board Ape, you really shouldn't be dumping your money in things like that. What really matters is branding and community building. Invest back into the project in that sense, like really for an NFT project anyways. Now, when it comes to marketing and branding, the way your message comes across is like one of the most important things. You need people who can tell a story. So if you can't tell a story, if you have an idea, you have to be able to storytell. And I have some amazing people who are doing creative writing for me right now for the Quarter Sinai Ninjas. So once they're done writing for me, maybe they can, I can help hook you up. But Not I have some awesome creative writers. Not a chance writers. in the world you're saying their names. You don't want anyone poaching them. They are mine. And when they're done, yet. I'm happy to share them that's good that's good that's the right approach. yes they can yes yes so storytelling is very important and obviously the appearance of your branding just really taking time to brand for the Kodos and I ninjas right now we're actually working on a full rebrand just because with that I'm gonna dive into that for a second since it's like a little segue but basically when we did that it was like we just were so new into the near ecosystem and we didn't want a stain to be left so early when liquidity was already so low so the Skellies actually called on us to make it happen. They were like, hey, like you're the marketing team over there. And we were doing a great job. And the Discord was popping. Everything was great. But the guy who was running it basically literally hard rugged. So yeah. I know that we've spoken about this. It's hilarious how I, I timestamp things by where I was in the world. Like I remember crystal clear the dirty uh. hotel room I was in Mexico when we talked about this. <laughs> but for people that were there with, with us at the time, would you be able to give us a really quick overview of the Corosanai Ninjas, the first DROG on the Near Protocol? What is a DROG? What were the events that led to it? You've already given us some pretty good foreshadowing on what prompted the DROG process. And I guess it would be a fantastic time, yeah, to just to learn more about where you're up to in that process. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Really, what the DRUG is like, we saw a community that kind of got taken advantage of and we wanted a way to bail them out. We just wanted to give them a sense of hope that their money really didn't go into an endless pit. So that was a really quick action that we had to make. Like I was saying a second ago, the Skellies basically, it was on their launch pad. 
And they asked us to basically derug the project. They said, hey, this guy, he's taken off. He's not responding to us. He wasn't responding to me. He wasn't responding to my team. And like the one of the last messages I got from him was that the artist had ghosted him. So I was like on the brink of also contacting the Skellies and like, hey, this like, is after the sale, here, the money know? has been taken. The community is having questions. The service providers, namely you guys as marketing and Skellies as a platform now you have your reputation on the line. Exactly. Yeah. So our reputation was like se like semi on the line, of course. We were obviously a third party, but we just felt like it was part of our responsibility to help clean up the mess. And so was the Skellies. So we got a whole bunch of people to surround us and support us. What we did is we airdropped the original minters an NFT each. So for every NFT that they minted, they got one-to-one -one an airdrop. And then we got a whole bunch of people like the whales of near, I guess you could say rabbit near big brain. A lot of the other anonymous holders that were are on the ecosystem all spent a few thousand dollars a piece to help us derug this project. And we didn't do a huge sale. The goal wasn't to do a huge sale or a huge fundraise. The goal was to just alleviate this community and bring them under new hands. So they were like, they didn't feel like they had nowhere to go. I and mean, we're seeing even now just more rugs pop up and we're trying to think of ways we can include communities and alleviate them. But right now- Are, are the new rugs also the people that you've worked with or skellies or just rugs in general? Just rugs in general. We see them so often. I think the Lion's Pride, just the original creator just left and is trying to pass it off to someone else. And then Near Buddies hasn't really been- uh, I know there's some, pe some people trying to resurrect that project right now and they ask for our help. And now that I'm back home, I'm thinking of ways that we can include them in what we're doing. Yeah. I really um, like the approach of- using a problem or a crisis as an opportunity to stand out. This reminds me, I'm trying to remember, might have been someone like Seth Godin or Tim Ferriss or someone like that. They were saying that there was this real estate agent in New York and the area where he lived and worked and had to sell property. <laughs> the rubbish collectors yeah. went on strike, which may as well be all of New York for a liner. And obviously all the real estate agents were complaining, not only about the rubbish problem, like everyone else was, but they were complaining that it was very hard to sell property when you had to walk through piles of garbage to get to the properties and whatnot. This guy hired, I think he maybe spent like $8,000 and he hired like private, like tr uh, rubbish truck collectors. And he did his area, whatever, several blocks. And what was interesting is that he most likely made up the money over time because he earned the loyalty of people and everyone in that area now knew him and they came to him when they wanted to sell. But he definitely built up mm -hmm. that brand and that's something that is very intangible. And that's why I like talking to marketing people because even for us with the marketing DAO, it's very hard to assess applications and it's very hard to explain to people that they have to show us what value is, but value is intangible. Like sometimes we get itemized proposals like Instagram moderator, $250, Telegram moderator, $250. And I was like, it's not really about the dollars, but I feel like if you're itemizing it in such a way, it's almost like taking a box and dismissing. Like we need to see what you're actually doing. What is the content on Instagram? What is happening on Telegram? It could be worth 250, could be worth 20,000. Let's be honest. You build up that value. It's intangible, but brand recognition, it's the most expensive thing. So I love that both uh, you and Sikelis were able to use these as an opportunity to send a message to the ecosystem beyond the, the Carson 9 Ninjas. You send the message to the ecosystem of, hey, we care about our people. 
we started working with them, we're on your side. We're happy to help out where needed. What really got my attention is that I would have thought, as far as a branding perspective, that if I were a ruthless operator, my message would be clear. Hey, you need to have ways to do proxy validation in the same way that, you know, when you're buying real estate, you look up who the builder is, what have they built before. And some companies you can trust, some you can't. I feel like WGMI and Scalys would then become like a really good sign for trust. If you see somebody working with you guys, you have vetted them. That's why it really, that's why I find it really interesting that you guys are trying to de-rug projects, even the ones that you haven't worked on, because then there is risk to actually create a negative incentive. There may be more and more people rugging because they know they can get away with it. And people may be less critical of what they go into if they know that there's always going to be someone there to bail them out. Maybe I'll get your thoughts on that. And then yeah, we'll jump into the role of NFTs. You're right. Maybe. Yeah, that does. There is that. And I think there's a big problem and people just don't know what they're they're getting themselves into. And they need someone there who's willing to back them up anyways. It's I'd rather be that person that's there to help than not have anyone to help at all. And people just get overwhelmed and abandon projects. And then there's communities that get hurt. And then people are afraid to spend liquidity on the in the ecosystem. It's like it's group effort really to surround these derugged projects and these community members and make an effort to like build them up, offer them. If we're saving a project, we're not asking for much, but maybe we offer some of these these guys whitelists or we give them some cool perks or we get them into some cool communities and we just support them and show them that they're not alone, that their liquidity wasn't wasted, really, that there's someone there that actually cares. And I think that's why I'm taking a big step into the public eye because I was a non for a long time, but it's I want to be credible in the space and I want people to know that I'm here for the long term. I've given up a lot to be here. And like, I'm dedicating all of my time to this. It's I'm working for TankDAO. I'm flying out and going to the hacker houses and participating in the workshops. I got called on last minute to speak live in front of people. And I haven't done that in years. So it's just, I'm here and I'm going to show up. Like, and that's what I want people to know. So if someone needs to call on someone, it can be me and I'll be there. That's so, awesome. Yeah. I called you for the podcast and after canceling several times, you're here. So <laughs> I can vouch for your yes. trustworthiness. Now, I'd like to yes. get, yeah, maybe a bit of a meta question. So I'd like to get your take on the role that NFTs play on the crypto ecosystems. And we can tie that with the importance of the NFT ecosystem in the branding and growth of Near itself. Because obviously, I can see how there is a very strong reason to prevent people from getting rugged because it goes way beyond the NFT space. Like NFTs are often the first thing that people touch or maybe the first things that they drop money on and, and bad experiences can really tarnish an ecosystem. We saw it with Binance Smart Chain and maybe the technology is all right, but people got rugged so bad that the, the perception of the chain never recovered. Yeah. So yeah. And on there was like a lot of shit coins, way too many. Unquote, so yeah, way too many. But to answer your question, I think that as of right now, they act as an onboarding tool. People can relate to the pictures or the brands or El Cafe Cartel, for example, the coffee. People want the coffee and they relate to the brand and now it's they're a part of this community. And I feel like that's so, that can be the easiest entry point for someone who does not understand DeFi or cryptocurrency. And they're just like, yeah, it's a picture. I'm part of this community. It's a cool brand. I'm going to rock the hoodies. I'm going to show up to the meetups. I'm going to go to the parties. They get that. But then 
they take one step further and they're in, they're right there in DeFi. And now they're learning about ref finance and they're learning about staking and yield farms and what they can do with stable coins compared to what their money's doing in a bank or what opportunities there that lies out there for getting a job. If you want, if you start thinking and participating in this ecosystem, you realize there's so much opportunity. You can go every which way, but you can become a, a head of research, do fundamentals. You can become a trader you can flip NFTs. You can make NFTs. There's just so much that goes beyond what an NFT is. And it's just, it's an onboarding tool. But to play devil's advocate, how many of these onboarding tools do we need? Because I definitely see the role as an onboarding tool. But I also see an unlimited number of mints coming to the market every day. It's been impossible for me to keep up. And for me, I have like a lacking protection mechanism. If the project is still standing after a few weeks and I get to know people's uh, experience with it, like I've been buying some Mr. Browns recently, not because I ever distrusted or had questions about the project but because it was just not paying attention and there's a few of those that i found out after the fact that are rugs and once again like this space where i work in which is promoting the near ecosystem more broadly getting developers getting real users i do wonder where we are in the balance like are nfts being a net positive and are helping us onboard more people or are they helping us onboard more scammers that are creating a more net negative and actually potentially damaging the branding of the near ecosystem. If the latter, how do we activate the community immune response to be able to fight these newcomers that may not have the best interest of the community at hand? And I think that you guys are playing a big role in this or have so far. Yeah, I agree. And I think like with everything in life, there's a fine line between good and bad. If we enable people, we enable them and people are going to choose. They're going to walk that fine line. Bad actors are going to lean one way and the good actors are going to lean the other. But we really have to just enable people so we can push those good actors the right direction. Now, I get what you're saying because the onboarding thing, it can only go so far. Only so many brands can be built around that. And that's where I'm going with the whole web two to web three. So we're going to be opening up another sector. Um, of WGMI. And we actually have a new partner that we're bringing on. Um, he's already in the near NFT space. He's working on something really cool. I'm not going to mention him yet because I don't know if he wants to be mentioned, but he has some really cool infrastructure that he's building alpha, in the DeFi sector. Alpha, I will say that. Alpha. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Alpha, it's only I, things not... that you control. Definitely respect other people's privacy for now. Yeah, I'm going to respect his privacy for now until him and I do our podcast together because we are going to do one together. So if who's doing a podcast on Nier, you might know who it is. But yeah, we got a new partner. We spent a lot of time with him in. I know Miami. who it is. So that, there's another. Is it going to be right a threesome there. now? Because uh, there's already two of them. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be a threesome. Lovely. Well, there's <laughs> but, uh, three and there's four. Like, I want to be part of the action. I, I'm, I feel like I'm missing out now. You, got, you have to do it with us. You have to hop on there. We could have a whole panel. It would be awesome. But yeah, so we're going to start this new venture. And basically, it's going to be focused on onboarding Web 2 brands to Web 3. So I think that's the devil's advocate, as you said, in NFTs. There's only so many onboarding tools for PFPs and like reaching the CT community. 
where that takes place next is when you have brands like clothing brands, cannabis brands, gaming brands, all these other brands that already have established communities and people who are constantly buying their products. And now we take them and we onboard them to Web3 through those brands. Whatever it may be, like for example, if it's Threadbeast, Threadbeast can now release an NFT and maybe with that NFT comes a subscription where you're getting clothing dropped to your door every single month. They're already doing that, but why not through NFTs or why not at least include NFTs? It takes your brand to another level, another personal level. Everyone has an, a cryptocurrency wallet now. So why wouldn't you want your brand to be in someone's cryptocurrency wallet where they can remember it, they can trade it, they can get cool perks with it in another community that you're now going to build, let's say on Discord or Telegram or Twitter, host cool live streaming events, build your own metaverse. If I had to. Yeah. So I think that's where the next level is. I agree. I agree. Ahead, and uh, I'm really happy to see that collaboration because I know that the unknown person that shall not be disclosed has a lifetime of experience in marketing with these Web2 brands. So I think that it is the right combination to handhold people. Like you understand what they look for when they look for a campaign. You understand how they can you know, engage with their stakeholders. And excellent example, and I'm going to plug them, and I'm going to plug my own podcast, would be Artera. A-R-T-E-R-A, not to be confused with Doquan's Terra, which just collapsed epically. <laughs> no affiliation whatsoever. They're a brilliant project building on Nier. I had the opportunity to meet them in Miami when I was there up just a few weeks before the Hacker House. And uh, they're doing something very similar, although in a much more niche area of esports and gaming. And it's fascinating to see that there okay. are some similarities there, like in the same way that our unknown friend is going to, he's got a, a lifetime of marketing experience and they're creating that bridge. These guys have a lot of esports and, and gaming experience. It's been a passion for a long time and they're onboarding a sales team that is actually coming from that world. If you guys are interested and you haven't already, I would strongly suggest everyone go back and listen to that episode. It definitely gave me a lot of hope, especially in this current market to know that there are people out there that are less known because it's not the latest whitelist, it's not the latest pump, but they're going to work every day and they've identified in a very strategic way what has to be true for all these brands to come to Web3 and how can we leverage the near stack and why near? Because that stack is unique. Not all the brands would be able to do the same. I've seen recently a couple of tweets. I think the Nigerian government is going to use Algorand for their IP. And FIFA is going to use okay. Algorand. I may take this bit out, but if I had to make a horrible joke, I think we know <laughs> how much. Yeah, I think we we can see a correlation here between Algorand going with the most corrupt government and organizations you could possibly ever find. I'm sure we'll find out in due time how much they paid for those deals. But the point of the story is, even if you pay to get the deal, you have to deliver it. And these organizations and these governments are going to find out that if the user experience is not there, it is much, much harder to implement. And for government, it's not an issue because they have so much legacy technology that is horrible anyway, or no technology at all. So they may still see it as an improvement. They are also a monopoly. So it's not like we're going to outcompete the Nigerian government because we can't be the government or run the IP agency for them. But you will definitely see that people that have better user experience will have more success in the long term.
100%. I completely agree. And I think that over time, it's going to be a while before the market matures because there's like a boom cycle for every crypto or L1 and then it matures and near so new, it's going to take time. But we, you know, what I'm really bullish on in near is people like you just mentioned, Artera and like the people that I met in Miami and how this community is activating itself. It's like, People are ready to build and they're ready to get active and they're ready to go out and yell from the rooftops that near is where they're going to be doing it. So <clears throat> I think things are different here. We saw a lot of, and, and the thing is, and it's native, it's like, it's here in the United States active too, which I think is huge because we saw like BSC, Binance did, really didn't get activated here in the States too much. In my opinion, Ethereum's active, of course, in the States, Bitcoin's active in the States, but right there in Miami, you have near and Solana really activating their communities and it's people from Bitcoin are showing up. People from Miami heat are showing up. I met one of the, the girls who manages a whole bunch of Miami heat players. And she came up to me and said, Hey, I want to get my players on the blockchain. What about, what, what do you think about near? And then we talked about scalability and interoperability and they can interact with the Ethereum blockchain. And basically like the amount of people that they would bring to near is insane. And I just think there's huge opportunity. And what's interesting, alone. this is a massive shift from not that long ago. And this is something that I learned in 2016 when I started reading books about entrepreneurship and when I started delving into my own startups, which still epically failed. But what really mattered was having a growth mindset as opposed to a fixed mindset. And this is worth exploring, even though some people may already be very familiar with the topic. With a growth mindset, you honestly believe that if you work towards something, you can improve. And that there is no limit to what you can achieve. And even though you can't define how it is going to look like, we have absolutely no idea what the next three months are going to look like. If you wanted to fool ourselves, we try to predict where we're going to be in one year time and then come revisit the episode. But it's that belief that as long as you have a set of principles and values and a vision, you just keep working towards it. Like the bear market now, yeah, sure. Like my net worth is one-tenth of what it was two months ago. But the fixed mindset would say, now you're poor and you're always going to be poor. The growth mindset says, I'm still doing the same work. I'm enjoying it. I'm extremely lucky to be working with fun, talented, ambitious people. We just got to keep at it. And in the future, it's not just going to go back to where it was, but hopefully 10 times more than that. Like we're creating the value, not just capturing what happens to be lingering around. So I think that that momentum that you've mentioned in the US is extremely interesting to me because for a long time, mid to late last year, I heard people say, yeah, and your technology is great, but it is too Asian. Like it is like far East Europe. No one in the US knows or cares. And the capital is here and the talent is here. And I was like, I'm not sure if A, that is true, because we did have a presence in the US. The core team has been in San Francisco and just in general, maybe we didn't have as much formal activities. But B, what I find fascinating is that I feel like the people have always been there and the potential is definitely not just there, but everywhere in the world. So this is to me just a really good example of what can happen if we get organized. The energy that I sensed through Twitter, and maybe you can speak a bit more to that, but the energy and the excitement of the, of the near Miami hacker house was a complete polar opposite to the crypto market in the rest of the world. 
So what that says to me is if we show up and build, it doesn't really matter what the market is because we're creating our own reality. So considering that the near communities in Vietnam, extra active Malaysia, Indonesia, like you name it, like in Africa, we've got a big community. We have people everywhere. Now, what I'd like to do is how can we take these frameworks that we know that work and expand them all over the world? Because we would be misleading people if we tell them that the core of the new activity is now in the US. And you'd see some people that may say, oh, near is great, but the problem that they have is that they're only in Miami. No, no, no. We're everywhere. We just need better systems to be able to roll this out. And that's why I know that the community team that no longer exists, but the foundation, they have a very strong focus on regional hubs now and really empower people to just get together and build. Like the LATAM hub is strong, the Africa hub is strong, in Australia, New Zealand, we're starting to get rowdy. So yeah, I'd love to know <laughs> more about the Miami Hacker House, what were the highlights for you? Are you going to the Austin one? So like you said, uh, we're all about one-tenth of what our net worth was, so I got to be a little more cautious about travel. But um, I And you're right, Like it, when we were at the Hacker House, it was like, Bear market or not, we were we were enjoying our time. We were enjoying each other's ideas and our company. Like we got in workshops and everyone was pitching their ideas and we were getting excited for each other and everyone had long-term visions. There was no one there who was short-sighted. No one was like, oh my gosh, it's the bear market. I'm it's all over. What am I gonna do? I need money tomorrow. It was like, no, I have this vision. I'm here for a reason and I'm ready to build for the next 10 years. Oh, I don't care what I have to do to get there. I don't care if I have to sleep in my car. I met people like that. They were, I don't care if I have to sleep in my car and come to the hacker house and shower at the gym. I'll do it. Like, I believe that this is what I have to do. So the energy was insane and the market wasn't very happy and liquidity's drying up a little bit, but everyone was so excited to build and it's inspiring. You come back with a newfound energy when people are just like surrounding you with that type of energy, the same type the same mindsets. And I think that's important because like when you're home and I love my people, my friends that I grew up with, but not everyone's into what I'm into. And I think surrounding yourself with like-minded people who are going to push you further is very important. And I still spend quality time with my hometown friends and everyone's doing their thing and they're excelling their mechanics and they're working and they're building families. And I think it's awesome. But for what I want to do, at least I need to surround myself with people I need to be in the room with people who are not only on the same level as me, but are way smarter than me. Because when I was there, I was learning. I was talking to Jordan from AKA Star Paws, from Tank and from Astro Dow, from Sputnik. And it was just amazing just getting so much insight and so much experience and knowledge that he was spitting at us and even having the time to joke around and talking to auditors and listening to people like VCs give pitches on how to approach them and it was just invaluable knowledge and experience where I kid you not, I'm going to be here for the next 10 years. I'm not going anywhere. And my energy levels are like up here and I'm just ready to attack life. amazing. And if you do leave, we're going to play back this podcast to you and come and get you. Right. Out to Jordan, Star Pulse. If you're listening to this, I'd love to have you as a guest on the podcast. Yeah, he's done a lot of work. And He's one of the OGs in like the digital art space, even before NFTs were a thing. He's helped contribute. He's helped build the core infrastructure with 10K. We used them for New Misfits. We were the, the first guinea pig to help perfect the product. And now he's doing like God's work with AstroDAO. I think that's really going to be a major piece for Nier. But I could really resonate with the need to connect with people that are like you. And 
that's something that I take into account every time that I look at the analytics for the podcast and the YouTube. Even if only a handful of people listens to the podcast regularly, it's important to know that the way that I see it, they may be having the same experiences I've had with many of the podcasts that I've listened to over years. And that is how I connect with people that think like me or that are interested in the same things. Like, sure, sure, we can have Twitter spaces and discords. It's not like we're not connected, but being able to dive deep and really listen to people talking about the things that you care about. What are the chances that I go out to a pub here in Melbourne, Australia, and I'm able to have a conversation that has this depth? And it's not just about crypto, because you can probably find a lot of weird people talking about NFTs, which is probably, by the way, below my line, as Chamath would say. But it's about the growth mindset. It's about wanting to explore new things, the curiosity, being willing to fail. Those are all the things that I think that it's really good that we're able to connect both in-person events and through the podcast. So yeah, I'm getting so good at selling this. <laughs> but I think that the, the key takeaway <laughs> for me is the Miami Harker House was amazing at bringing all those people together. We know they came from all over the US and some from around the world. There, it's definitely a much smaller sample size, but we need to do everything that we can to be able to connect those small pockets of people. We know they're out there. Like in Australia, there may only be you know, a handful in my city or in the East Coast. We need to give them the infrastructure to connect to each other because they are going to build the projects and the momentum to bring in the next layer of people and then the next layer and then the next layer. Like the truth is, Mass adoption are the people with a fixed mindset. You have to do all the groundwork for them. The user doesn't give a fuck what your challenging, what your scalability issues are. The user doesn't want you to explain to them why it is expensive <laughs> or why it may be ready next summer, four years ago. Like they just don't care. It has to be ready to use. So it's a grind. And that's why we have to make it fun. Now let's have hacker houses. In Denver, <laughs> I almost froze to death waiting to see Dead Mao. And they didn't even let me in because I didn't have a ticket. The dude oh, no. who had the audacity of telling me, because I was ready to go to sleep. I was so tired. He had the audacity of telling me he knew the bouncer. He climbed a fence and snuck in without me. Anyway, these are the experiences that keep us entertained while we eat a little bit of shit two months ago it was salmon but we eat what we can get while we build and as you say we're going to be here for 10 years yes. let's make it fun and i think just a touch on the subject is like the user doesn't care about what the issues are like those fixed mindset people of course people who can think a little bit deeper or an experience in the space they understand it takes a lot to get to where we want to go I and mean, it takes trial and error no one's perfect and that's it's all about people who can learn and persevere and just keep pushing forward to really get to that level of putting out great products or like getting an ecosystem to where it needs to be and that's why we're all here everyone's learning from each other's mistakes the bad actors are going to get weeded out and we're going to continue to build and you're right we have to make it fun and we have to activate those smaller communities those smaller countries and i don't know how we can do that specifically besides giving them great products or if they like they have near philippines and stuff like that maybe we, we get into hubs like that and enable people over there because i know there's a lot of great 3d artists over there um 
like on Paras, there's a ton of 3D artists who are coming out of the Philippines. One of them's Arky Boots on Twitter. He makes some great 3D art and he's over there working on a little rinky dinky laptop, but still pumping out stuff in Blender and Cinema 4D. It's come on, there's people out there and we need to enable them um, and give them an opportunity, especially like in the Philippines. I, th- I was talking to Arky and I think he makes on average like $7 a day. So if we enable them with all the money that there is in crypto or in Web3, it could be life-changing and potentially change the future of that ecosystem as a whole. Like in the Philippines, these people could provide for the families and build infrastructure in their cities and build uh, new schools and get more resources for their families. It's just, it goes way further than crypto at that point because there are those smaller countries that are involved in near and they're contributing and we need to help them. It's the paradox of decentralization, right? Like we've got a protocol that inspires people to build because of the decentralized nature. But for whatever human tendency, I think that we tend to always converge so that we centralize and that is the risk that we have. And that's why I'm saying like, look, I was my mantra during near Miami because I was both recovering from surgery and pain and experiencing deep levels of FOMO. I was like, for every person that is in New Miami right now, in person, having a great time and connecting, there's 10 around the world building. Like the community is much larger than that. And we may not all be on the spotlight at the same time or or crypto Twitter may be fragmented, but it's about finding ways to make sure that each one of those communities can be empowered to grow. Especially because these are the communities that I feel like may have a much stronger alignment with the ethos of cryptocurrencies, maybe they have more corruption, maybe they have things that drive them, especially these countries with very young demographics, but they can leapfrog the development of the country and the social economics if they go into technology. So I think that there's a very strong incentive there. Maybe it's a younger tech ecosystem. Awesome. Like how can we like fast track it? If we've run through successful near hacker houses in Miami and Austin, It'd be amazing or I'd like to see just like a blueprint. This is exactly what we did. And if you want to do it for your city, here's a tick box. Go find these venues, go find these workshops. We recommend a quota of four speakers. The foundation or whatever source is willing to provide four speakers. We fly them in. We have sponsors from the last two hacker houses. We sponsored the hacker houses through Metapool. I don't know how much money we gave them. The hacker houses raised a good amount of money to run a good event. How much can you run in fucking Philippines with that much money? You could rent out the entire island and fly people in. It's amazing (laughs) what you can do with a good structure and good people. Yes, the market has gone to shit. I know. But you can also be nimble. And I was actually talking about this with one of the, one of the marketing DAO council members. And she's actually my next guest in the podcast, speaking to her in a few hours. I don't know why when people book the old book on the same day. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this is a day when I tried to get good sleep, exercise, eat healthy, be your best. But we're talking that we have a soft cap of $10,000 for the marketing DAO. And we have a problem that the projects that we incubate, the good ones, all grow beyond that budget. And that they move on to different funding avenues for the foundation. So we keep losing our babies. And some of the projects that we're funding now or the proposals that we're getting are not really up to scratch. And she was saying that she understand how $10,000 is not really that much as projects grow and evolve, but also she's been a writer all her life. And she's like, look, I've done so much work for so much less. 
that it is definitely possible to find really good content creators willing and able to do work within our budgets. We just have to do more work as a marketing DAO council and we're aware of it to be able to attract that talent and to be able to let them know what their opportunities are. So I think that it may be weird and people may not be able to all do this like mental switch, at least automatically. But I feel like we went from bull run, everyone gets paid, half people actually do work. I think we've gone back to the days where it's actually the opposite. <laughs> We're all working and hustling. Like now we see who's actually committed to the technology, who's actually committed to near or to the personal projects, and only half of them are getting paid. <laughs> Or maybe we're all getting paid. We're all getting paid half of what we were getting paid before. So I think that it's been a very nice reminder. It's been very humbling that when you remove money from the equation, okay, what's that? It's testing the strength of the community. It's testing the strength of like just the ecosystem. I think that in near we're actually doing relatively well because we launched during a bear market and we never pumped during the bull market. Ecosystem in Solana, I don't know what's happening there, but I'd be fascinated to see because they pumped like a motherfucker. And most people came during the pump. And now that they're falling so yeah. much, like, I would imagine that there would be very different dynamics in terms of like energy and the future and what type of builders you attracted. Yeah, we're in years in a great position to build, like you said. Um, it, we did get a pump. And when we got a pump, it was like in the bare condition. So it was like, and it was small. It was nothing huge. So people are just excited to accumulate. From my experience, everyone's, oh man, we're building on near and it's so cheap right now. I'm just throwing 10% of my income into it every month. I don't even care. So yeah, there is a different energy, especially for people who were buying uh, Solana, what hit 250 or something like that. And now it's like back under $70 or bouncing around. So that does create a big emotional toll on the ecosystem as a whole. And people who builders maybe who came in at the top and lost a lot are maybe not as enthused or can't position themselves. Yeah, to that build. is a key difference. And I'm aware that obviously we also have people that may have bought at 60 bucks and now it's six, but Solana was 250 yeah. at some point. If you've been yeah. around crypto for long enough, you realize that there is a statistic paradox. The higher the price, the higher the volume. Near the top, you have the early people selling big bags to a lot of retail. And then when it drops, that's why I don't like talking so much about price. And that's the one thing I hate about NFTs. I don't like people buying them with the expectation of making money. And to me, that's 90% of it. Mm -hmm. That's the only way you can justify all these whitelists. You're basically trying to hedge your bets. And I was like, if you want to play a hedge fund, at least play a hedge fund with something that has a utility. And then they realized that, so they tried to make NFTs into a security-ish by forcing them to have utility. And I was like, why don't we have NFTs just with art? There's nothing wrong for teams that are like legit and ambitious to just keep adding more things to the ecosystem. And there are teams doing that really well, but because the expectation has bleeded into every NFT project, then we've got the most ridiculous roadmaps and I was actually going to ask you earlier today, like, how would you define a rug? Because I feel like a lot of projects are at risk of rugging in the sense that the roadmaps are completely unrealistic. I keep telling people, do the unit economics. How can you expect to buy an NFT for a hundred bucks and have a team of engineers and product managers and whatever working for you into perpetuity? It makes no sense at all. So anyway, I've got... A few views on that. Now, the caveat for this, and actually, I'm really excited to have you on 
because I'd love you to expand on it. I haven't been keeping up much with the near NFT ecosystem. I know some of the larger players and I follow some of the key people, but there was a tweet that I bookmarked from you that I wanted you to expand a little bit on. I think the person was being whatever. And you said, I'm really happy about people like you because it reinforces whatever my belief, what I'm doing, like we're building in stealth. And then you'll be missing out on those gains because it's only the people. Do you remember the tweet that I'm talking about? I think I've horrifically, yeah, if you just want to give us an overview of what happened and then some of that builder first ethos that I think was coming through. I think a lot of the way that the community operates right now is based around what you're talking about. Speculative price action and people want to get whitelists because they're guaranteed to flip and they want exit liquidity. And I think that's part of it all. I think that's okay. But when the focus is just on number go up, it, it hurts builders. It hurts creators and it puts them. This is something that builders won't talk about, but I've seen threads and I've heard people talk about it in Twitter spaces. When people start involving only that price, it takes a toll on your creator's mindsets, on their health, on their mental health, because that's not what they're there for. They're trying to build a brand. They're trying to, most people, all the good ones anyways, all the good brands, they're trying to, a bigger picture. They're trying to build the community up. They're trying to add to the DeFi element. And I get that the price is part of it, but when people start making tier lists based on just your price and it's, that's what you're valued upon. It doesn't make sense to me because there's like a whole lot that goes into it with supply and demand. If you have 10,000 NFTs or 700 like the Skellies, it's it's a big difference in why their floor price is so high and someone like Kazo Fighters isn't yet or someone like Nirtin is only 18 right now or whoever it may be. There's a big difference when it comes to supply and demand. So just because the floor isn't 200 near doesn't mean it's a bad project. Oh my God, yes. So you just reminded me. It was the shittiest graphic I've ever seen that it attempts to uh, rank projects by whatever blue chip, A, B, C, D, F. I mean, honestly, F is so offensive. You may as well not even include the project. And the reason why I liked it and I really, yeah. I, like, it resonated with me was because Near Misfits wasn't even included in the thing. <laughs> and I was like, does that mean that yeah, we're like lower yeah. than an F? And do I just the elephant in the room? I can relate 100% with view and reality that the obsession for price and you becoming an employee for somebody else to flip and make a profit, it completely destroys a creative process. Like I am really proud of the NFT series. I'm really proud of the people that hold them because the reality is we strategically gifted and sold to all the OGs. Like who was in here at the time? And they're not really flipping and they don't really care what we do. I am really looking for ways and I'm thinking of ways to create a really nice synergy between what I'm doing with the podcast and with YouTube, basically my media empire and misfits. Like I'd like to be able to have a more close relationship with the people there, or if people want to connect with me, use that as an avenue. But up until now, I have not given any specific roadmap or promises or anything because once again like for me it's not about driving the misfit sales for me it's more about growing my actual community like this is the work that i do my podcast is not going to change i am not going to alter my content in any way because of an nft series but once i have something that i find valuable and hopefully more people find valuable through the podcast and the youtube then we can grow 
and nurture that community. And I feel like that is a thread that most of these NFT series have in common. Do you have a real project? Are you building a wallet? You're building an exchange? You're building a marketplace? As long as you have the builder ethos and the product that you're building has a reason for existing and you're solving a problem for users or you're creating real value for people, the NFT series is a fantastic complement. It gives you an identity. It binds people together. It creates a sense of belonging. I love all those things. That's why we launched Misfits. We wanted to capture that early day feeling of being in near in March 2020. There were not many of us, but when yeah. you spoke with people, it was amazing that we both read through the documentation and we were both like thinking about the future and just like connecting at a different level. I don't connect with people that have to buy a whitelist to flip it to make money. And they're probably much better off than me, actually, because I feel like I've left a fortune on the table because I just didn't write the NFT wave. But long term, it's not sustainable. And there's more people that are going to get burned than not. 100%. And I think that goes into what we want to do pushing forward with WGMI and the near NFT DAO is, of course, we'll help these PFP projects and speculative price action isn't really our forte. Like what we're here to do is help real brands onboard them into Web3. And we think that near is the place to do that. And I think that in the future, when it comes to building the near NFT ecosystem, it really shouldn't be focused on like these PFPs and like just stuff like that. There's a lot more that goes beyond um, just the PFPs and like building these little projects. But I think that having them is important in the ecosystem. Because like you said, you're a creator. You're also working in DeFi. You're doing a lot with Metapool. You're part of the marketing DAO. And when you're, when we're 10 years in the future, Misfits is going to be known as that that first hub that you guys built to connect with the community. And it's going to be there forever. I have two of them and I'll plan on selling them. And it's just, it's awesome. And I think that has way more value than whitelist grinding and pumping a project and whatever. I think there's more value in being connected with someone like you and the other people that you're building with. And like the guys that you're working with, like uh, Kaizen Collective, I think they're great. And I want to be in a community with them. There's so much more value in that. Yeah, I think that as long as we're attracting the right people, there is a saying that really stuck with me. And once again, like I first heard of it uh, on podcasts while I was still at uni. And I have been able to certify it is 100% true everywhere that I've worked and every ecosystem that I've been to. A's, hire A's. B's, hire other B's and C's. Who you bring into your ecosystem and who you bring first and the culture that you set, sets the future. And that's why I think I've made a reputation for myself making some strongly worded posts on the governance forum, both near and Aurora actually, but I only do it because I care and I don't do it to take people down, but I do think that sometimes you have to course correct. And there have been initiatives that we have to understand that just because they come from the foundation doesn't mean that they're correct. Like we're all learning as we go. There's a really good episode on that with uh, Rebecca a couple episodes back, if you want to go listen to it. So. Yeah, I'm happy with NFTs, with DeFi, with the metaverse, with ReFi. I don't care. Like, it's not up to me, obviously, to pick winners and losers. For me, it's just about having the right culture. And some NFT people that I've seen are just toxic. Some are just amazing. And yeah, just elevate the good ones. 
with Cordos and I Ninjas, it's we don't have a huge community and we never intended to have a huge community. I think there was like 174 people originally who minted and then near Big Brain just minted like 50 of them or something like that. And it was just like, yeah, it's whatever. And then Rabbit minted a lot and Buns. But the thing is, the, the people that we brought in, they're genuine and they stuck around. And there was a few people who wanted to just offload and get out of the rug. Day one, they sold them and it was okay. I actually bought a whole bunch back myself. Like I have 30 or something like that. But so I injected my own liquidity into it. There are a few people that just by being myself on Twitter and the podcast and YouTube, And by having more touch points, like maybe it's like a comment on the Twitter and then we happen to be on Discord servers together and whatever. I just keep coming across them more and more to the point where I would almost call them like friends. And it's funny because on the interwebs, it's just a, what are they called? It's just an acronym. It's just a a name, a chosen name, made up name. And like like an NFT, but Bunce is one of them. Oh my God, (laughs) Bunce is hilarious. Buns. He's been commenting on the podcast yeah. and YouTube and the videos, and he refers to himself as Buns. That's not normal. <laughs> yeah. Shout out to Buns. Yeah, you I are love Buns. He's awesome. I think it's one of those like weird gems that, yeah, I'm looking forward to actually getting to know him better. And I'm just happy that he's in the ecosystem because he's got that odd energy of not just here for like, narrow making money approach he's enjoying it and he's adding value and active and connecting people and i think that's what we need yeah and i think those are the people that i'm trying to attract because i think those are the people that are coming into my community it's people like buns people like monza people like rabbit and then we have near big brain and then there's jimmy thing and the the people who are interacting they're genuine and they're here and they don't care like buns will be in the discord joking about how he's a liquid like he's ha 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 buns a liquid again just bought more nfts like he's just having fun and joking around he doesn't have that oh i need to flip this nft for 2x or 3x or whatever and i think a lot of people overexpose themselves and i get it if you're trying to make money or and you overexpose yourself to an nft that can be detrimental as well but it's Then comes risk management. And then that's when we start talking about, are you overexposing yourself? Why are you buying the NFT? Are you being a speculative trader? Maybe in the wrong markets, like Forex, maybe stocks, something like that, where your liquidity is instantly there might be a little more feasible where you can sell at a loss instantly if you have to pay your bills. But NFTs are built for something else. I think they're built for brands to connect with their communities at the end of the day and an onboarding tool. Somebody on Twitter, I don't think they were from the new community specifically. They asked recently, oh, have have we created or is there anyone working on like a lending platform with NFTs as collateral? And I was like, that sounds like the absolute worst (laughs) business model. Like you can just dump the NFT there and take the cash and never come back. Yeah, it's definitely uh, different considerations that go into each one of those industries. I know there's uh, something like that on Solana, but it's interesting. Like by doing that, some of the the loans that they give you, they're pretty aggressive. So it's, are you going to be able to pay this back in seven days or whatever your terms are? And one, you're selling at below market price for this lending. And then you got to pay back a premium. And if you don't pay back your premium and you extend your loan, like how much interest are you paying? Is it really feasible? You're just giving your NFTs away at the end of the day for a low price, but at least you have exit liquidity. And then the person who's giving the collateral or the loan out profits for the long term, I guess. 
not really sure yeah, how I feel about the, that. If they do have shorter term loans, that's a problem. Unless it's a very well established, like fluid market, you always end up in exploitative relationships. What I like about things like borrow and fast yeah. origami is I put my SCN there, I can take stable coins out. That loan can be there indefinitely. Up until the point mm -hmm. where maybe if ever the interest rates accumulated trigger the collateral, I may lose my underlying, but I don't have any rush. Yeah. There, there isn't even a minimum payment every month. So you can see how it's a relationship that is structured to enable people to be super flexible and it's a win-win. They've got a liquidation mechanism, which works really quite well. I can test. <laughs> and... Uh, yeah, if, if you were to contrast that with an NFT lending platform that you have to pay back in seven days and it's the, the price is like way below market and the interests are very high, why would you go into that? The only reason I can see is you wanted to sell the NFT anyway and there is no buyer in the market. So you're happy to take a, a cut, pay cut. But anyway, Elias, what yes. makes you bullish? We've touched on this very much but what makes you bullish about the future of near nfts marketing anything that you're working on right now that you'd like to to shield on the technical side of course the scalability of near the interoperability how the foundation and marketing DAO, everyone there's like funding for creators who are really doing great things i think those are all great but what makes me most bullish is the people I think, especially after going to Miami, chatting with people like you, getting on phone calls with people like Dwayne or like Teddy from the Near Knots or just all these people, all these amazing people. It, I've been in the ETH ecosystem. I've been in the Solana ecosystem. I think a lot of those people over there, they're in a bigger ecosystem, more liquidity. They have bigger heads. It just at the end of the day, that's what it comes down to. There's a lot of, what's the right word for this? There's a lot of flaunting, a lot of drama. And sure, Near might have its drama, but the, everyone that I have met, Cameron Dennis, Joanna Orlova, all these people, Jordan Gray, Enzo from Tank Dow, every single person that I've met, you, everyone has just been so amazing, so helpful, willing to connect the dots for each other. So what makes me most bullish on Nier is the people, really, truly, at the end of the day, like you said, our community members who are just there to support us and make sure we're having a good time when they know that we could be going through stressful things or trying to build that we've been behind the computer for 18 hours a day. Amazing way to describe it. I like that you start with Teddy and Big Brain because they're both podcast guests. Ted, I had to reschedule because his internet was terrible. And Big Brain, we had to reschedule because he got COVID. So I got to follow them up. But yeah, I think that you can oh. definitely see why they are people that I really like and that I want to get on here to be able to just capture a conversation with them and preserve it and broadcast it to the world, especially as we onboard more and more people. I don't know, I'm repeating myself, but it's about setting that culture. And I've been told even the near foundation is going through that challenge. Like the foundation has been growing in size exponentially. We've had a new CEO starting in January. New roles, new challenges, new markets. The reality is there are people at the foundation that they may be new to crypto or they may be new to the near ecosystem. So I always wonder how can we onboard everyday users? How can we onboard builders? But also how can we onboard our own? If somebody from the near foundation were interested at nights or on weekends to just get to know, okay, well, who are the OGs in the ecosystem? Who is this Teddy guy applying for a grant? Like 
their work obviously is to assess and be responsible with, with money, with resources, with everything. But there's obviously a lot of background and context that is needed. So I think that amongst all the noise, being able to amplify the people that have been there from the beginning that are doing really interesting work, but like in many different buckets. So it may be hard to capture that essence. It's very important. Absolutely. And just me getting in so early has been a blessing because I had the chance to meet all those people so early and I, they offered guidance uh, really early on, like with the near NFT DAO, Jordan's been teaching me a lot about Astro DAO and I'm learning so much about DAOs. I'm probably going to go through the DAOcubator system and just basically get schooled on DAOs because there's a lot to it. And I think a lot of projects now they launch a DAO and it becomes this consensus system in the Discord or whatever. For the people only listening to these, Elias said a lot of projects are launching a DAO with quotation marks. <laughs> Air quotes. <laughs> DAO. Yes. Because there's a lot to what a DAO really is. A DAO at the end of the day, on Astro DAO, it's a consensus system, but that is usually tied to something else that has legal anchoring, like a business or an LLC. And there's a group of people who are making decisions. What I think a lot of NFT projects have done is opted out to building a DAO where they move their funds around or make decisions in a Discord. But there's a lot more that goes to building sustainable DAO. Something that's going to last for years to come is going to take a lot of work. And you got to think about legal anchoring, a constitution that's going to be ratified, principles and um, processes that need to be put in place with how you deal with emotional things, how you deal with bad relationships or forming spheres outside of your main sphere. So of course, you can think of a DAO as a sphere, a business and a group of people. But from there, you can branch off and create guilds or new spheres. So I think there's just a lot and I want to really set an example for what a DAO can be. And I think that we're going to, we're going to build some infrastructure. We're going to build a one-stop shop for tooling. So Salon Land HQ, basically. So anyone who wants to come through and get tooling, basically anything from floor trackers, portfolio trackers, claim tools, snapshot tools, the whole nine yards. We're going to have it. I mean, our goal is to work symbiotically with Tank. They're going to be handling, all, of course, all of the, the launches. And I think they're working on automating that whole system right now. So that should be really awesome. And then, of course, WGMI will assist with employing people, putting people in place for Discord management, social media management, graphic design, Cinema 4D, Unreal Engine, all of it. And then I just had a call with someone I'm super, super bullish on, which is KDOT. And he's building B Experience. And he's going to be enabling so many people and helping them find jobs. And we're going to be working symbiotically with them to find people jobs and get them connected I, with the right projects. I had a call with KDOT and I think I didn't have enough context before going into the call. And I think he offered me a job to be an instructor at Be Experience. But I was traveling in Mexico and just flat out, like the truth is I'm not looking for a job at the moment and I think he could have led full time in structure. And now that I think about it, I think I ghosted him, which makes me feel terrible because <laughs> the project is solid and obviously it's the classic, it's not you, it's me. I need to get back to him and let him know that I'm obviously more than happy to collaborate. This was especially it came about through the some of the YouTube content I was creating. And I was like more than happy to align some of the content that I do with what you guys need. But yeah, I think that they wanted something a bit more hands-on, like actually designing courses and the delivery. And so, yeah, I'm really happy to see projects such as that one enabling people to step up. Cause I think that's one of the big stereotypes that we have to overcome that you know, it's all this basement 
dwellers that woke up and they knew everything about crypto. The truth is the information is out there and we're all learning every day. And if you want to get involved, it's still early. See, that is the right context in which we have to say it's still early. It's still early to learn how to code. It's still early to learn how to crypto. It's still early to do anything you want. Even if you are any age and you're coming from any industry and you want to transition to Web3, it's still early. I mean, as humans, we can always keep learning. But also, if you want to capture some of the growth in the industry, that's probably the best way to de-risk it, you know, transition your job, have a monthly income, accumulate some coins. Yeah, I completely agree. And it's, in my opinion, it's one of the only sustainable ways to capitalize on this market. You can become a trader. You can think you're a God tier trader, but I've seen the best traders get wiped out and have to start from nothing. So we should have an NFT series for each one of the traders that were like God leveled someday and they fell from Olympus. (laughs) Day trading is extremely rough. I was actually listening to a podcast Uh, right now, just on my way here, Tim Ferriss with Edward O. Thorpe. And he's got a few books. He's 89 years old, a mathematician. And his insights about, I think his first book was about blackjack and how he beat the odds. And then he wrote a book about the markets and just fascinating stuff. And it's interesting that somebody that smart who had a a hedge fund that paid out above market returns for 29 years, they'll tell you, for most people, you're better off just buying an index fund. Now, for most people in crypto, mm-hmm. you're better off dollar cost averaging in and staking it or doing some simple low risk strategy. Yep. Like I was, as basically every young male, <laughs> I was doing Forex and I was 19, 20. Dude, I lost at the time. It was a lot of money. Like I really should not have been gambling that money. And the reason why I was doing it and why I was mm-hmm. losing that much money was because I was also winning it. You're 5K up one day yeah. and you're like, ah, and then you come back the next day and you're definitely down <laughs> because you've been up before, you know that you can do it. So you keep trying, but now you're chasing mm-hmm. losses. Like psychology is huge. Maybe if I tried these days with yeah. my new stoic self, <laughs> maybe it'd do better. But yeah, overall. Yeah, I agree. It's a big psychological game. And I feel like it's knowing when to capitalize on those opportunities. Like when I started trading, my goal was to become financially literate at the same time. I started LLCs. I started finding every way I can basically save myself money or build wealth and not get rich quick. I'm really lucky because I was an aggressive trader for a few probably like a year, like a really aggressive trader where I was behind the screen 12 to 18 hours a day, just trading. And I made a really lot of money, but I believe, I believe I got lucky. Like I got lucky. The DeFi boom happened. I went all in link, all in chain link. And that just freaking took off. I did the CVX CRV flywheel. So I was just running that flywheel, that infinite loop, basically CVX putting out three CRV and taking those rewards and recycling them back in and just tossing all my money in it. And I got lucky. I really did. And I think that it took me building like a I had a lot of losses along the way, thankfully more wins than losses, but those detrimental losses where, you know, when the DeFi crash happened, I lost like 20K in three days. And it was like, it, it hurt a lot and it took a lot out of me, but I learned how to process emotions differently. And I learned how to position myself and realize when things were, it was just a little bit of luck aligned with a little bit of positioning. And how to position myself to capitalize on that, but on the higher time frame is how I look at things now. Like I'm not trying to 
put something on leverage and yeah, get lucky. I, I would have been the same as you. And then you graduate <laughs> and with each dip, you lose more. But I think that, and, and, and it's probably a good way to start rubbing it up. The key takeaway for me there is in the same way that we all get lucky in a bull market because you have outsized returns for the work that you're actually doing or maybe for your effort, perhaps. Yeah. We also need to understand that we are unlucky in this stage of the market in the sense that the value of the work that we're doing is the same. And the need for us to keep doing that work is the same. Maybe it's not being priced by the market. Maybe the payoff is delayed. But understand that our net worth today, <laughs> eating ramen after this, <laughs> understand that our net worth today yeah. is not necessarily an accurate reflection of the net worth of the work that you're doing. And just keep grinding. Now, the caveat there is obviously not all chains are going to bounce. Not all projects are going to bounce. Everyone needs to do their own research. I'm pretty optimistic within the new ecosystem, both because of what the new stack enables you to do and the people building there. But if you are a tourist and you're listening to this podcast from other ecosystem, yeah, be careful. And you're right. I, I'm lucky and I think that I'm, I'm a rich man in the sense that I live a rich lifestyle. And I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about the way that I get to live my life compared to where I was when I was 19, waking up, working 12 hours a day in a factory. The payoff might not be huge right now. I might not be driving a Lamborghini. I might not have a huge house, but I pay my bills. I have a car. I get to spend an enormous amount of time with my daughter, like 50% of the week I'm with my daughter. I get to take her to the park when I want. I get to go hiking when I want. So this is the lifestyle that I want to live. And I want to add value to other people's lives. I want to enable other people. I want to give them opportunities wherever they're at in the world. I want to make a difference. And I think that, you know, that's an abundance lifestyle that I like to live. Like I'm not really looking towards just the money. I want to fulfill my destiny of helping people and spreading love and just giving people opportunities. Like I want to be a leader. I don't want to be a boss. I don't want to be a rich jerk. I just want to enable people and create jobs and give the underprivileged or the underdog an opportunity to shine. And I think with that will come that retirement or like me paying off my daughter's college fund or getting that nice house that I always wanted or whatever. That'll come in time. But right now I'm just enjoying the journey and I'm here to build and I'm willing to put in that work for that so-and-so delayed play payoff. Like it's not about the money really for me. That's beautiful. Yeah, I agree. I've I'm trying to remember who had this framework for wealth. It was definitely one of the podcasts, maybe with Tim Ferriss or I maybe the Knowledge Project with Shane Parrish. This guy, pretty sure he was a billionaire. I wish I could quote him. But anyway, he had a very simple framework for wealth. He's like, <laughs> more money doesn't make you happy. The three stages of wealth. The first one, if you're dead free. If you're dead free, you're wealthy or wealthier than most people. Like you have that stress off your shoulder. The second level is you can go to any restaurant, invite your friends, and you don't have to worry about the bill. You can order entree, dessert, <laughs> bottles of wine. That's the second tier. And the third one is you can take holidays for as long as you want. Invite your family, your friends. You don't have to worry about the bills. Those are the three levels of wealth. And once you've maxed out extra money in the bank, it doesn't make a difference. So I, thankfully, through some of the work that I've been doing, I'm debt-free now. Uh, student debt, uh, two very expensive degrees I'm not using. That's and I'm at the second stage, not because I'm super wealthy, but because I'm single and, and pretty basic. So for instance, I love that 
I'm able to walk out of my house. And I live in Melbourne, which has the best cafe and brunches in the city. And I love walking around like there's heaps of cafes where I live. They're all amazing. And I love being able to sit down with my laptop. I work, I can order as many coffees, lemonades. Sometimes I eat, sometimes I don't. Like I don't have to worry about being able to pay for the bill or how that affects my budget, which is a very different story from when I was a student. Oh my God. I remember when I was a student, same as you had two, three casual jobs and studying and counting every cent. Like being at the supermarket, checking your bank account and you're like, okay, I'm 22 cents off. <laughs> Need to return something like that's, I feel like it is a rite of passage. It makes you stronger. It makes you value things, but yeah, it's a good way to live. Elias, rapid fire question. Yes. Are there any books or movies that you've seen recently that you'd like to share with people that have had an impact on you? Right now, I'm actually reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad. It's right there. I read it every night. It's actually in my calendar. I Basically, my life's time blocked. But um, Rich Dad, Poor Dad is one I'm starting now. I and mean, it's about becoming financially literate and basically enabling yourself, figuring out how to set yourself up to have less liabilities and more income and just everything you need to become financially literate. There's a lot of other resources that are in the book. So I'm still on that path to becoming completely financially literate. I feel like I'm still young and I feel like there's a lot to know, especially with running like LLCs and like all these tax loopholes and just like everything that I'm trying to figure out that I can do to live like these, the biggest business owners in the world, because that's truly what they do. And I don't think it's a bad thing. I think that in the United States, at least, they enable people who create jobs or add to the economy. And I'm just figuring, trying to figure out how to capitalize on those things. So Rich Dad, Poor Dad is a great one. And You're a Badass at Making Money. I think that's what it's called. But yeah, You're a Badass at Making Money. Two great ones. Podcasts. I think I really would like to shill my friend, Matt Money. He's on Twitter as Matt Money. He's a petroleum engineer, but he's also an investor of 10 years. He's starting his own podcast. He's not like a huge creator, but he has 10,000 people on TikTok. And he's actually just a really good friend of mine who's financially literate, has a lot of good insight on the market. So his name is Real Matt Money on Twitter. Love his podcast, love his um, YouTube channel. Uh, and other than that, I don't think there's anyone else I really want to show besides your podcast, which I'm going to be tuning into every time you have a new guest. And I think that everyone on near and Aurora and every ecosystem out there should listen. Oh, to. thank you. That is <laughs> very kind. It's a it's an interesting compounding effect. I've certainly noticed that some of the more supportive people that share the podcast and that start listening to it and hopefully enjoy the content, hence why they share it more, want to give it more visibility. A lot of them are previous guests. So I think that it may be counterintuitive, but even if you start slow, each podcast is an opportunity to reach a new audience and to create great content. And usually once you hook someone, they may come in with any of the last 19 podcasts. And if they enjoy it, they may go back and listen to the others. Yeah, I keep repeating that <laughs> to myself as it's a lot of work. Uh, the workload just keeps increasing and it's technically like a side project. This is on top of everything else that I do, but it's definitely super early days and you do see that growth. Like I can hundred percent see how in one year's time, people are going to be like, oh my God, you know, the podcast and they've been listening to episodes and I forgot that it existed because it's so far removed in time, but it just keeps compounding. And I definitely saw it in the January period. When we had the big spike and a lot of people coming to near 
the demand for content was like outsized. So I think that it pays off to take your time, make sure that you're proud of the content you're putting out there and it will live on the interwebs forever, assuming we don't get censored. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I think it's awesome. You just stay consistent and it'll gain traction. And I think another great avenue is short format content like TikTok and Instagram reels. You can do little dances, but just chopping up these little interviews and taking little segments from them and putting them in short format might be a good idea. But um, yeah, I'm excited for the future of your podcast and I really appreciate you having me on and just giving me a platform. But like I said, it's been a while since I've really been in the public eye, just like behind the scenes type of guy running things in my event company. I was a DJ and stuff, but right now I feel like the time where People who are serious about what we're doing need to take that step out, become leaders and work with people who are already leaders. And I think it's really important for the people who are leaders now, like yourself and like Jordan and all these experienced folk. Yes, I look at you as a leader and you are not a boss, you're a leader. And I think that's great. But to incubate the next generation of leaders, because there's a big difference. A boss is someone who like tells you what to do, tells you to do your job, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But a leader is someone like who enables people and teaches people the right things to do and guides them down the right paths. And I just think that's what's happening on Near with the hacker houses, with all these things that we're doing in the community, the podcast, giving people a platform. You're building a next generation of leaders here. And I think that's great. Amazing. That's, oh, thank you. I, I really, means a lot to me. No, I, I really enjoyed, I was just thinking at East Denver, we had the Near Lounge, which was amazing. We had it space dedicated just to near we had speakers we had food and there was a very special crop of young people students that dropped by most of them had heard something about near and were interested Uh, a lot of them were studying uh, computer science or engineering something related and the one thing they all had in common was that they would just enter the lounge you know with little backpacks and be like a little bit lost we were all young and insecure once and I made an effort as much as possible to like just say, approach them, welcome them, just ask them and, and connect them with people. I remember there was this one that I introduced to like Alex from Aurora, Alex Shevenko. And at the end they were like, oh my God. And they're like, oh, you know, we're graduating this summer. If we want to like do like an internship or a job, like who should we contact? And Alex was like, yeah, like just message me. And he gave him his number and it was just like, Really nice to see both the humility of people on the near side, which from the outside, you're like, oh my God, it's like the bloody founder of Aurora, like big brain. And on the other side, it's like people with so much potential and yeah, just like nudging them a little bit. Let's be honest, we're not doing that much. The potential is within them to just go push them a little bit. There was another one that contacted me recently through Twitter. He's writing his thesis in Switzerland and same, like he's teacher at a Swiss university got them into crypto or I think into near and there's just so much potential there and I just had such a good time like he he interviewed me initially and the call went like an hour over because we're just having a good time and I was just like nudging him to all these directions where can he take those skills and yeah I think uh I think we're on a good path I think that's awesome because like when you give someone like when you give someone an opportunity like that, you see their eyes light up in a different way. You see their excitement in a different way. If you win the lottery, that's cool. 
But nine times out of 10, who you, when you win that money, it's all going to be gone or whatever. But when you give someone an opportunity, when you enable them, like Monza, for example, he had just graduated college and he was like, I don't really know what I'm going to do. Like I have this degree, but I can't find a job. And I'm not saying he makes a lot of money right now, but we found him jobs and we, we got him working for us on some certain, on some jobs. And it's, he's grateful. His eyes light up, his opportunity, his mind expands and he just thinks about where he can take it. And it, I feel like there's so much more value in giving someone who deserves an opportunity that chance to shine than there is in just like giving someone some money or like giving them a prize. So that's awesome. And it's great to hear that about Alex. So that's awesome. I think that is a perfect place to wrap it up. If you are young or any age really and ambitious, our DMs are open. WGMI and shout out to be experienced as well, I guess, are open for business to help you transition and would like to hear from you. Yes. Thank you guys.